And welcome to Gleeman and the Geek, the Tef Spring Training Edition. I'm John Bonus of TwinsDaily.com. With me, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic. You are in uh, lovely Fort Myers, Florida. Lovely Fort Myers, Florida. I am in, well, lovely Minneapolis. Although it snowed yesterday for like the first I, time. I in, heard you guys got like six inches of snow. Yeah, part of me was like, good. Because <laughs> you know, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving in two days to go to Florida and join you in uh, in Fort Myers. But yeah, it's uh, I already have a little sunburn, I think, on my face. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you're well on your way to becoming a, a golden god. Exactly right. By yeah. the end of this, or a fried lobster, or whatever you would rather. <laughs> right. be. Uh, yeah. So today, nothing really crazy going on at Twins camp. It's still pitchers and catchers only, technically. Yes. Yeah. But a few more position players are starting to roll in. I know you said uh, before we started recording that you just talked to Carlos Correa, who was there yeah. yesterday for the yep. first time. Royce Lewis came to camp today as well. Uh, yeah, it's, we, it's, we haven't had a chance to talk to him, but yeah, he was there. Uh, he, was, he was there hugging, hugging guys. So that sounds like Royce Lewis. <laughs> it's voluntary until Sunday or Monday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. is uh, Sunday is the first uh, full full uh, team workouts, right? Which I botched my travel because they initially, when they put out the schedule like a month and a half ago, right. Monday was the first full squad workout. So I thought, oh, I'll fly in Sunday. And that's the full first workout. So I'm sure I'll be missed. Yeah. It's, not, it's not totally clear to me why it changed because, uh, you know, they also scheduled like on the day of first squad workouts, they also have sort of the Hammond open house where you can come here. Right. All, fans can come here. They can wander around the stadium. They've got all the concessions open. They're all half price. Uh, the kids can go and play on the field with the ball players at like two o'clock in the afternoon, et cetera. And that's usually the day of the first full squad workouts in part because, you know, it's just sort of a, you know, it's the first day of school. Nobody's yeah. really doing anything. That, That's you know, exactly right. There, right? It, it corresponds to it. Now they've got like that first day of school. Then they have the open house thing that they're going to be doing some stuff. I don't know. We'll see. I think they're just screwing with me. <laughs> Once yeah, they heard. Like, well, let's try and get. Let's try and get at least one practice in here before Gleeman yeah. shows up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're in Fort Myers. I'll be there Sunday. We're recording this Friday morning. Um. There isn't there hasn't been a whole lot of news. We did a Patreon on Wednesday, which was the first day pitchers and catchers had to report. So we we kind of already went through the little tidbits. There, I mean, there's nothing like that we need. You know, topic one is some big right. news. Right. Basically, Anthony Disclafani and Josh Stamont are both uh, feeling good after being injured uh, last season yep. or the last couple of seasons, really. Uh, Louis Varlin is working on a sinker, two seam fastball, right. To go with uh, his normal uh, mix in the hopes of uh, kind of neutralizing right-handed hitters who gave him some problems last year as a starter. Carlos Correa, like you said, is there today and uh, sounds like he's feeling good after the plantar fasciitis. Yeah, he's also about two months to go away. <laughs> yeah, but, which is uh, kind of what we had heard. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. basically Baldelli. I remember midseason talking about how he had plantar fasciitis. Yeah. In his like his second year with the Rays, or maybe his third year with the Rays, and he said it hurt me for the entire season, much like it did with Correa. Right, and you could see it in his running and all the double plays and just his overall production and stuff. And Baldet, we were like, "Well, what fixed it? What did you? What was the eureka moment?" And he said, uh, "One day I woke up in the middle of the winter after like two and a half months of doing nothing during the off season, and I stepped on the ground after I got out of bed, and I thought." Hey, that doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> and as absurd as that sounds, that it's not like satisfying for people who want 
timelines and all that stuff, it kind of sounds like that's what happened with Korea, which is you get off your feet uh, for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden you go, okay, it's solved. Now, that doesn't mean it won't come back necessarily, right. uh, but that's the assumption had been that he would be fine heading into spring training. It sounds like that's the case. He's done some tweaks with his swing, which I honestly would be kind of surprised if he showed up day one of spring training and hadn't been in the lab a little of bit course. to try to change things, particularly given how he played last year, which I think a lot of that had to do with the injury, the plantar fasciitis. So I'm not uh, necessarily criticizing him for that, but I would have been kind of shocked if he came in and said, nope, didn't do anything, haven't studied anything. Here I am. We'll see how it goes. And then the ba- only bad piece of news that you had passed along from day one of camp was Josh Winder. Right who uh, has basically had shoulder problems for his whole twins career, even going back to his prospect days. Right. Uh, And now is the one guy who's sort of behind schedule, which is a nice way of saying hurt Um, early in camp with a, what they call it in his scapula. It was a stress fractured scapula. Yes. Which sounds not that fun. Honestly. Well, I mean, it sounded like the stress fractured scapula was at the end of last season. And so he, right. he's just been, he's been, you know, in the, the, the treatment for it is rest, let it heal. And so as a result of rest and letting it heal, he got a late start on sort of his throwing program for the off season. So right. that's why he is a little bit behind. That doesn't sound like he's, I mean, you never know, but it doesn't sound like he's feeling anything right now. That's causing a problem. It's just got a little bit, a little bit of a late start. Right. And his, I mean, I think his, uh, first of all, like I said, he's had scapula as a shoulder and he's had shoulder problems, right? Various shoulder problems on and off for three, four years now at, at minimum. And we've talked to him about it and it's, it's frustrating for him. And he gets these small windows where he feels good and he pitches well. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I'm having some soreness. I got to shut it down again. So this is just part of that. I think even healthy, he was looking at an uphill climb to, claim my opening day roster spot unless the twins were which is another thing we talked on the patreon a couple days ago the idea of what how do they want to fill their last bullpen spot or two maybe do they want just the best possible pitchers which are going to be one inning relievers alcala stamont jay jackson uh those type of guys Ronda burke or once you get to like six seven on the relief depth chart and they're all kind of one inning traditional relievers do you say to yourself, well, how much is that eighth guy really going to get used in prominent, you know, close games? Would it be more valuable to have someone who can eat some innings, be a bulk right. guy? Yeah. If that's their mindset, then Winder would have been in maybe among four or five guys, uh, candidates for that job. Similar to the role he's filled in the past yeah, for the Twins. Sands, Hedrick, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Those types of guys. Uh, so this might take him out of the ring for that, but that was maybe a coin flip at best to be in that situation. So. That's kind of where we're at news-wise. The The nice thing about spring training, at least early on, no news is good news. Right. That's uh, right. Because it can only be injuries, basically. Yeah, that's right. Uh, at this point. Um, it can be initially, oh, I feel good. Like with right. Stamont and Di Sclafani, which is good to hear, obviously. Uh, we'll, proof will be in the pudding with that. But, yeah, I mean, there's been years. I mean, even last year, honestly. By this point in spring training, well, within a week, Buxton and Polanco, it was like, oh, this isn't as right. good as well. I mean, we knew hoping. that they were, yeah, they, they were like the other ones. Oh, they're going to be in a late start. Like they're not going to be playing in games very early. We know, you know, we're, right. and, and I think within the first week, we'd also heard Miranda's shoulders kind of acting up and we're not sure whether or not he's going to be, you know, he's probably going to be in a DH role already in spring training, et cetera. So, yeah. so less news is uh, 
is generally good, even though we like news because we get to talk about it. But today <laughs> we have two things to we've kind of separated the show into two chunks. In addition to the two chunks who hope host the show. <laughs> I don't know why I rope you into my self-deprecating humor, but sorry. No, you can. You can absolutely. Okay. I feel two very chunks. chunky today, boy. Yeah. Uh, I am not in the best shape of my life. You yeah. will see that when I show up in Fort Myers. I am the one I guy. I am provided the best shape of your life is round. Well, I, yeah. Round is a shape. Uh, so we wanted to kind of put a bow on the television topic, okay. which has really in part because the twins haven't made that many moves, but player moves. So it's kind of dominated the conversation. Unfortunately, I mean, it's given us something to talk about, but we've been talking about this damn thing. Well, honestly, since the last season, like during the season, but it, you know, since November, pretty actively, we've been asking questions about it. We've been speculating about it. Obviously Amazon jumped in near the end and changed the whole scope of the situation, which, you know, I won't say that the twins are unhappy about that, but I think probably, for 2024 twins fans are unhappy about that so we we wanted to kind of i won't say this is the last time we'll talk about it but put a bow on this thing and present our uh thoughts on it as as cleanly (laughs) as possible as sort of a here we go and then we'll move on until this time next year when it could be the same situation who knows i'm not i'm not that confident that this thing will be settled uh in terms of like a few you know long-term view in a satisfying way right. within the next 12 months, but you know, who knows? So basically where we're at with the TV deal is that the twins have re-signed with Bally sports, which is part of diamond sports group for 2024, only a one year contract, their existing contract, which I think was what a eight or 10 year deal or something like that expired. And they were free agents and our understanding is that there was no real uh, silver bullet here uh, of where are we going to go. There was no local outlet saying, we want to be the new home for right. the Minnesota Twins. We're going to offer you something close to the $55 million per year you were getting previously from Bally Sports. Uh, their options basically were to stay with Bally Sports either on a one-year deal or a longer-term deal or be f- kind of folded into the growing MLB streaming umbrella, which now has three teams for this season, the Diamondbacks, Padres, and Rockies. The Twins potentially could have been the fourth team there. And the benefit to that is wider distribution. The benefit to that is MLB can still get you on DirecTV and still get you on cable. They just sort of carve out a channel that is probably inactive for 20 hours a day and then just goes live for the game. Right. And maybe and, and, pre- and and which those distributors do not necessarily pay for, right? right. Or they direct very TV, small. Di- yeah, Direct TV and Comcast, whatever they are paying to Bally Sports North, it's not like they're going to pay the same amount for that right. channel because there's right. not programming throughout it's the not day. Clear that, not... It's not clear they'd pay anything for that channel. Yeah, They'll I'm just allow you to have that. a channel, right? Yeah, but the but then that allows you know kind of full scale streaming without blackouts, without restrictions in Minnesota or out of Minnesota through MLB TV and anything else that they could have set up. And the funny thing is six weeks ago or three months ago, for sure. When the twins, I believe expected that to be the route they ended up taking being folded into MLB started really talking up the benefits of wider distribution. 
And that sounded great to us and to fans who have struggled to stream the product sure. and have been blacked out. People in right. Iowa can't watch the twins people in it's been idiotic for many, many years. And so that was music to a lot of people's ears. And then what happened? Cause that was presuming that the bankruptcy of diamond sports would sort of, Correct. you know, come to fruition and they would crumble. That's right. But then what happened is Amazon swooped in and gave diamond sports uh, 150 million bucks plus potentially more and kind of save them from crumbling. Yeah. And diamond sports that are uh, and, and, and a solid potential streaming partner as well. Like yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that doesn't matter for this year. No, it doesn't matter for this year. It's what, the important part, like you said, is that it got Bally out of like, we're on the path to bankruptcy. Yes. The, the, whole, the whole idea of a bankruptcy proceeding a lot of the times is like, okay, we can't pay everybody that we owe. We're going under one way or the other. Who do we who do we pay first? Right. With yes. what we've got left. Right. And that the idea was that, you know, the whole company was going to kind of shudder uh, by the end of uh, by the end of 2024. Well, now with the deal uh, that they worked out with them and then you know, getting some money, additional money from Sinclair and some other things like this, their point is we're going to come out of bankruptcy. And if we're going to come out of bankruptcy, that means we are viable. We think we're going to be a viable company moving forward. If we're a viable company moving forward, now we've got a whole bunch of these regional sports networks that are getting paid, you know, multiple dollars per month by first, you know, per subscription by all of these distributing partners. And we actually, you know, need to act like a real company again, as opposed to somebody right. who's closing their doors. So uh, at that point, they can start doing things like offering the twins a break, you know, a similar deal or a one-year deal that they've got similar to last year and, and try to, you know, re right. meet, remain viable to their various distributor partners, which is like Comcast and DirecTV and so on. And so funny, once that became the picture right. and the twins realized, oh, well, actually there's an outcome here where we get pretty close to the same money. And when I say pretty close, 80%, 85%, something like that, instead of 55 million, we haven't heard a figure on that, by the way. Yeah, we actually don't know if they're close to the money, but we know that the other two teams are well, 80 to 85% close to the money. They're close to the money. We just don't know the actual dollar figure. But they, funny, uh, requested that the dollar figures not be made public. Right. Um, the teams requested that, which is uh, interesting. Um, but after talking for months and putting poor Croy. Corey Provis out there to tell everyone <laughs> blackouts were ending because that's what he was told because uh, that's the messaging that the twins are putting out there because that's what they believe that they believe that was their only and best option uh, and so let's spin it as well that's an advantage wider yeah, streaming right. fewer blackouts right. the disadvantage was no money relatively. <laughs> right. but now once the money uh, aspect opened back up funny the wider distribution and the no blackouts was no longer the priority uh, and I'm not shocked by that, certainly, but in the benefit to the twins in re-signing with Bally Sports is that they're going to get 40 million, 50 million, or on the low side, 30 million, whatever it is. Right. The downside to the fans is it's the exact setup that it's been for the past several years, which is television as normal on right. you know uh, Bally Sports on Directv, Comcast, whatever, and then streaming as normal which is to say not viable not. for many <laughs> right. many people right. Right. Uh, right. and that has not changed one ounce at all it is they're running back the exact same 
television and streaming setup. So it, we get all sorts of questions. What about this? But what about that? And I live here. And what about that? Whatever your situation was last season, right? Is your situation this season? And I think, and people are sort of wondering, what can the Twins do with the streaming rights? Well, the answer is they can't do anything because nothing. of the contract they've got with Comcast, or not with Comcast, with uh, Diamond Sports Group. Diamond Sports Group doesn't want their TV competing with everybody else's streaming, right? And so they're willing to pay the Twins, I, I, I would suggest a premium amount of money, to limit the ability for the team to stream their games. And so that's included in the contract for this year. That is why... You can't stream. And, you know, the Twins could have not agreed to that, right? Yes. But then Bally wasn't going to necessarily agree to pay them whatever they're paying them. So ultimately, and I have some quotes from, from Dave St. Peter uh, in which he addressed this. He talked to Evan Drellick, who's been our business reporter for The Athletic, who's done a really good job on this story, going to the trial and trying to parse all this legalese and stuff for doofuses like us, chunks like us. Um and Dave St. Peter did a little interview with him, and I think some of the quotes are are very interesting. So we'll go over those in a minute. But essentially, the Twins chose money over wider distribution. And there's probably not a person in the world who's surprised by that. I'm, I am not suggesting in any way that there's any element of surprise whatsoever in their choosing money and running it back with the same flawed setup over, let's just open this up and everybody can get it, no matter how much they talked about that a few months ago they were going to always choose the money. But what's interesting is within that, if you say, okay, well, you chose the money and going back to Bali, a place they're not really happy to be at necessarily. Some of the Dave St. Peter's quotes about that were even funny, which we'll get to in a second, but okay. You chose the money. Well, what, what does that money do? What is that money for? And all off season, we've heard that the payroll well, I mean, we've seen the payrolls down 30 million and that's been linked largely, not entirely, but largely to the missing $55 million a year in television. Money. <laughs> right. Well, now if you're getting 40 million of that back, let's assume again, we don't have a number because they've kept that secret. Well, if, even if you're getting 30 million of that back, let alone 40 or 45 million, well, right. sh shouldn't the, the payroll shouldn't have dropped 30 million then, right? The payroll should only be down 15 million or whatever. You should be spending another 10, 15, 20 million dollars right now before opening day. Right. Um, and I think the thing that uh, is, well, again, not surprising, but disappointing, <laughs> I guess right. I would yeah. say, yeah. is there is zero indication that that is the case. And in fact, now you are seeing the the phrasing on it or the messaging on it, let's say. Some might even say spin uh, on it <laughs> shift to, well, you know, the the decreased payroll wasn't just about the television situation. There were other factors that were leading us right. to decrease the payroll as well, which I'm certain is true. But that is uh, very disheartening if you're a Twins fan, because what that means is even if we get this television situation sorted, right, the payroll is still going to go down anyway, the the message from ownership is we're not willing to invest what we've been investing, the level at which we've invested for the past several years. And sure enough, they're at 124 million right now in payroll, which ranks 20th out of 30. They were at roughly 155 to 158 million last year. And they've been somewhere between 16th and 18th in payroll. Um, the funny thing is if they were at 160 right now, 
which under normal circumstances would be a natural uh, rise from 150 sure. last year. I would, year. I would suggest 165 or 170 would right. be. But, but even, yes, let's just put them at right. 160. Okay. They'd rank 14th out of 30 teams right, right between the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres. Uh, and they'd have spent uh, $35 million more. I can't even imagine what this roster would look like right. uh, with that spending. So essentially, they have chosen money over distribution. And, you know, I'm not, they're not hiding from that necessarily. I'm going to read the Dave St. Peter quotes here in a second. But I, I think this it really does boil down to that. They could have chosen. Now, they were probably being pressured from MLB to some extent to take this offer because the Rangers and the Guardians also re-upped for one year with Bally Sports. The idea clearly from MLB's standpoint, and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, talked about this publicly yesterday in front of a, at a media event. They're clearly trying to, uh, you know, get as many teams together for 2025 that they can bundle and package and offer, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Apple, whether it's MLB TV as a standalone thing, and basically say to the consumer, we have 14 out of the 30 teams, or we have 15 out, we have half the league, essentially, and we're going to charge X amount, and you get streaming, unfiltered streaming access Right. unfettered streaming access to half the league and the twins would be part of that. And then you hope to build that just as all streamers are hoping to build through subscriptions and all that stuff. Uh, I'm skeptical about that because I think there's, there's a limit on how appealing that product is to the average consumer when it almost by definition does not include any of the big market teams because the big market teams get so much money from their local television deals, at least because for now. they tend to own their own networks. They're not part of the, the regional Correct. sports network. Uh, or the, even if they are, they're just right. getting a huge amount of money still. And they're, they're not um, one of the teams that Bally or diamond is looking to toss off the edge because they're still making money or they're still viable at that point. So good luck convincing the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Cubs or fill in the blank to join in with the other half of the league on this. Everyone under on one umbrella, we split the pie 30 ways evenly. Well, why would they ever do that? And so that is where my skepticism of this whole thing comes in. But from the twin standpoint, that would, that would solve a lot of problems from a viewership, but I don't know that it would solve the monetary problems. And if they're saying to us now by their actions and their words, that regardless of the situation, the payroll was going to go down. The ownership is no longer willing to invest at the level they've been investing over the past four or five years. Then I would kind of expect that to continue, which is disheartening, I think. Well, it's disheartening is also, you know, it means that a lot of the cover that they were getting from that TV deal right. in terms of coverage uh, was, you know, there were some at least a, a major BS aspect to it. Yes. <laughs> that, it, you know, if, if the point was, listen. We've got to reduce payroll. We just aren't making the money we need to, as opposed to, oh, we lost a $55 million TV deal, so we've got to, we've got to lower payroll. Right. I mean, that was the message from the beginning. Uh, that was when we asked you know, Derek Falvey back in October, you know, four days after the season ended, you know, do we know what payroll is going to be at this year? Do we know what the budget was? And he was already like, yeah, we're not sure. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the payroll is going to be like. I haven't really been told what payroll is going to be like. And yeah, I think even at that time, the TV deal was already a concern. Of course. Right? right? 
So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yes, your point is a, a good one as well, which is, you know, similar to the, um, similar to the, the example we always use about, you know, oh, you were just drunk last night. Uh, that's why you're saying such an a-hole. And the answer is, well, no, no, I, it, there wasn't something that I could fix. I'm just an a-hole. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I wasn't drunk. Well, that's worse because yeah. that just means you were behaving like that on your own. Exactly right. Uh, you know, this is like, oh, well. You know, it's it's not just the the TV revenue. Well, then that's much worse. You know, does that mean we're just not? And I mean, what's happening is they're doing this at exactly the wrong time to do this. Right. Right. I mean, the the way the way it should work if you are trying to build a cha- if you're trying to become a world champion, there are all kinds of years where you can save money. Right. If you are a small market team going through the natural cycles of winning and then losing and winning and losing where you, you know, for years are uh, conserving resources to try and build up prospect capital Which, to, to kind of bring them up as a wave. By the to, way, the twins to, did that for like almost a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Just so we're clear. Like, relatively right. recently. Right. You know, exactly right. And then you, get to the, then you get to the point where that wave arrives, you know, where you've got, you know, one of the best rookie classes the twins have ever had. And you, you're paying, it, you know, and it looks like they were ready to start investing. They did go out and sign Josh Jones, and they did go sign out Carlos Correa. They did, they did extend Byron Buxton. Well, now you're at the point where, okay, good. We've actually won some postseason games. We made it to the ALDS. Uh, what's the next step? Well, you know, the next step is to continue to get better. Now, you can you can plan on some of that happening just with, you know, maybe some natural progression by the rookies. Although I would suggest that as outstanding a year as most of those rookies had, you should also probably be expecting a little bit of regression there. Right. Yeah, But you'll get but, more of it. It'll be right. more quantity versus quality. You know, exactly. You know. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, you know, at that, that is the point at which you start legitimately investing money, right? That is where the, the reason the Phillies are good is they thought they had sort of a, you know, natural group of talented players coming up. And then on top of that, they go out and they sign Bryce Harper or they go into, they sign uh, real Muto, et cetera. Right. right. Uh, that is the way that is the way you get from a good team or a postseason caliber team to a championship caliber team. And this is the last, I mean, they are sort of in that last couple steps here and to kneecap themselves with a $30 million payroll cut. And then to say, yeah, it's also, yeah, yeah, you know, to provide themselves some coverage, first of all, with this TV deal. And then to when the TV deal kind of comes through, and again, we don't know exactly the number. I don't know whether or not that is a $30 million or a $20 million or a $45 million deal, right? But whatever it is, some additional money should be coming. Here, let's put it team. this way. It's closer to the original $55 million than it is to zero. <laughs> I, I would think I will so. guarantee you that. Yeah. So. Anyway, a the, lot closer. The, right. And so I completely the, agree. The, yeah. It's, the bottom line is this is exactly the wrong time to do this. This is a business. This is a strategic fail on the part of ownership. Right. And, and it's been dragged out over the course of four months to the point that, you know, you, you reconfirmed everyone's skepticism or, you know, frustration by, like you said, Instead of putting pedal to the meadow at a time when you just broke a two-decade playoff losing streak and are showing some real progress and something that you can start to build towards being one of the better teams in the American League over the next you know X number of years to slash payroll. Well, that is precisely what the fear has been 
for every Twins fan every year for 50 years. So not only are you confirming that at the worst possible time and sort of making all the momentum and the fan morale and everything that was so great in October immediately vanish. But then you've also, because of the way the television situation played out, you've also confirmed everyone's suspicions or skepticism or frustration about the level of BS that is just generally occurring uh, across baseball, across the twins, across big business in general, in this country, whatever, which is to say, (laughs) uh, yeah, you know, Payroll is 30 million lower, but, you know, we're missing 55 mil here in revenue. So you can kind of link those two up. And then three months later, it's like we heard you guys are getting like, I don't know, 40 or 45 million of that 55 million back. You're going to you're going to bump back the payroll. Oh, no, there's other problems, too. We can't do that. And again, this all might be true. It Because that was the messaging doesn't mean that they weren't, you know, actually other factors involved here. But Twins fans can only react to what they've been shown and told in actions and words and on-field product and actual spending. And I cannot drop a worse offseason for that necessarily. But again, they're probably still going to win the division. And once they win the division, you can make another playoff run and Royce Lewis will still be up there, you know, in the playoffs with a a chance to do his thing and Carlos Correa and all that stuff. And so you need to balance that. But one of the weird things, Parts of the twins, I would say, over the last four or five years is they seem to not, and I'm talking about the from an ownership level or a sort of the sweet the C-suite level, the CEO level and team president level and all that stuff. There seems to be a weird disconnect, whether it's them talking about season tickets or them talking about television ratings or just the overall morale of the fan base. There's this weird disconnect that any level of success is followed by them saying people don't seem as excited as we'd hoped about this. Why, <laughs> yeah, why are our yeah, doors yeah. not being blown off for season tickets? And why right. is this? And it used to be that I wanted to shake them and say, because t- today wasn't the start of this. Right. We were all born yesterday. That's why yeah. Right. Yeah, I was right. born at night, but it wasn't last night. <laughs> right. uh, there's 50 years of this and certainly 20 years of this. Right. Where everyone knows or or fears that the other shoe is going to drop at any time. Right. And guess what? You guys have played into that. Yeah. And so yeah. now they have five times as much reason to think that way. And so now this is just the worst outcome on that level. And I realize it's sort of PR based or perception based. And that is not, that can be a tricky game, but you got to help yourself and if you're you're if you're a business if you're a restaurant or whatever it is and you say man we've really we got a good chef and we've been putting out good dishes and some people are really excited about it. we've been getting pretty good reviews but we're just not getting the foot traffic in here we're just not making enough revenue if your reaction to that is to you know cut back on the amount of money you're investing and get, you know, worse meat and yeah. worse produce and try to reuse food instead of, you know, f- to make a stew out of it three <laughs> days later and, you know, uh, sell your good dishes and replace them with mediocre dishes and, and silverware and stuff would, yeah, that's going to save you money in the short term. But why would the expectation from a consumer standpoint be that people will be more excited or that there will be more foot traffic or that people will be more excited to come see your product, that would 
never be the case. And so that's how I view the Twins right now is nobody was asking them to put $200 million into this team. But you've been at the 150 ish million dollar level now for several years. And by the way, for people who listen to our show, you'll note that after about a decade of constantly harping on the payroll, I can speak for myself at least. Sure. I mostly shut up when they were spending 150 million and that was essentially an average payroll. That's all you want if you're a Minnesota Twins fan. Right. To me, spend an average payroll. Compete. Be competitive. Do not be with the Oakland A's and the Miami Marlins and that. Be, you know, in the 15 to 18 range. That's all. Well, especially, uh, I mean, you know, the other half of this is that, you know, we've watched this front office work since 2000, since they came here in 2017, right? To develop a farm system and develop some pitching. And we've been waiting for this stuff, right? We've been, we've watched them and the payoff to that for me, all, all those times where they like, no, we're not going to trade away the prospects. We're going to hang on to them, right? All those times where you're going to like, oh, we're just going to assign a, you know, a shoemaker or a hap uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, any any big one. We're not going to trade for a big pitcher, et cetera. All these things that they've been doing to sort of build a base level of talent that can compete. The payoff and the reason you you buy into that as a fan is you're like, that should give them some money to go and spend when they, you know, when th- when this group gets here. Then we'll have some money. We'll also have some money to spend on some big time free agents. And to some extent, they have done that, right? They went and extended Buxton. They went and got into the bidding for Correa. You know, a lot went right for them to end up that way. But, you know, they have legitimately done it. And then to get to that point where you're like, okay. I mean, it's, it's, frankly, it's got to be disheartening from a front office standpoint, or from a from a you know Derek Falvey's baseball operations right. standpoint too. Like, I do think we get we to should... the point where we got forty million dollars to work with this off season, and you know, there's some pretty good high end pitching out there, uh, you know, and there's also some pretty good high end pitching available on the trade market. You know, what can we do uh, with that? And then to say, well, what we can do is just put it pocket it. You know, right. that's going to just slash basically that. that amount. I do think. To, I'm glad you said that. It is absolutely worth separating or differentiating between the ownership level and the front office in terms of baseball ops front office. Mm-hmm. Because the idea that Derek Falvey or Thad Levine or Rocco Baldelli, for that matter, would in any way suggest lowering the payroll <laughs> is absolutely absurd. Right. That is an order being given to them. And so... But because he's the face of the front office, Falvey will get the most crap for that. Oh, Falvey, he doesn't spend money. But Falvey has shown certainly more so than his predecessor, Terry Ryan. <laughs> right, yeah. He will If you tell him I have a dollar for you to spend, he will spend 99 cents or a dollar. <laughs> right, he ain't yeah, spending right. 50 cents. And right. so if you if the twins would have told them payroll is going to remain static, you're going to have 158 million to spend. Their payroll on opening day I'm with would be within 5%. Of that, and possibly a little higher than that. Honestly, he pushes, like you've said, right. and so when you look at their payroll, and it's 124 million, and you know, I think both of us think there's probably one more move for a right-handed hitting outfielder coming, which we're going to talk about it shortly. But that might push him to 130, maybe even a little bit right. more than 130, whatever. But it's still going to be 25, 30 million dollars below last year's payroll. Well, that's not coming from the baseball operations department. Uh, Derek Volvi and Thad Levine, et cetera, are not the ones who are saying, let's cut payroll. Let's do that. We can put a better team on the field for $130 million than we can for $160 million. I mean, who the 
I'm not going to swear because it's not the Patreon, but who the <laughs> F would ever think that? Right. Money isn't everything in baseball, but there's no notion that having $160 million is worse for you than having $130 million as a front office. That's coming from the top. That is coming from the ownership level and the team president level and the CEO level. And they have their reasons for that. And from a you know pure profit and loss standpoint, I'm sure it's supported. Uh, I don't think they're lying in that regard. Right. I just think there is a disconnect between how they view that and this idea that, well, if our revenues are down, it is mandatory for us to lower payroll so that we avoid losses. This isn't some mom and pop shop here. Right. It's not some, you know, little store that's going, well, we can't afford to lose a thousand bucks a month here. We got to get break even or better. And so we got to slash, you know, food costs and we got to do this and we got to do that. This is a, ownership group that has billions of dollars billions like you know multiple billions of dollars these are among the richest families in the entire world right they could lose 50 million dollars a year on the minnesota twins and it would not make a dent in anything and again i'll always preface it by saying it's easier to spend other people's money but i think the scale at which this is happening needs to be understood and also the the from what level within the twins leadership group it's being uh, you know, mandated needs to be understood. This is not Derek Falvey. This is not Rocco Baldelli. This is not the players. This is those people being given a lower uh, amount of resources to work with. And I just think, yeah, you, you said it well earlier, which is this is bad at any time, but my God, is it tone deaf and bad and just reinforcing every possible negative stereotype or bit of skepticism or frustration that fans have had about this team for decades upon act. Right. It is it is doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on all those in a way that guess what? Uh, it, nobody's yeah. going to defend that. Nobody's right. going to try yep. to to do that. And so I hope they did the math on that too. Which is <laughs> right? Is it worth saving thirty million dollars to just crap on this whole situation when morale was high? Right. And I guess they've decided uh, that it is, but I do think there's a disconnect that we've seen from the, those. To be people. fair, $30 million is a lot of money. <laughs> but it's not a lot of money well, to them. Would, no. That's the beauty of being a billionaire. $30 million does not have yeah. to be a lot to you. And by the way, if you're losing too much money owning a Major League Baseball team, someone will give you $2 billion to take it off your hands for you. And so, you can be even richer than you were before. Uh, it, you've not been sentenced uh, by uh, by a judge as a court order, as part of a punishment to to lose $50 million a year owning a professional baseball team. Uh, and so I think that's the frustration. And if, you know, uh, is it going to mean they won't win this year? No. Is it going to increase the degree of difficulty for winning? Absolutely. And yeah. in the meantime, is it going to give any fan who had any level of frustration or skepticism that had been lowered uh, last season reason to amp that up in a way that probably was higher than ever? Yeah. And I just think that is such a short-sighted. Let me just read a couple of the well, and, and play into a narrative of, you know, the regular season. It's fine to win in the regular season, but you know, what is this team going to do in the postseason? Which is a narrative they've been fighting for twenty years, and now they've gotten they've managed to get to the point where what everybody's going to ask is, yeah, they're good. They're good enough to win the AL Central, but what's going to happen when on Game right. Two when Pablo Lopez isn't on the hill in the postseason? So before we uh, read some Dave St. Peter quotes, because they should have a chance to actually portray their side of this as people like me rant against it we got to make some revenue too so let's read a couple of ads here <laughs> let's talk a little bit about better help we're both big fans of better help for i could use it right now as you can tell from <laughs> you, that rant you could use it right yeah 
Uh, listen, if you uh, if you go through the difficult decision sometimes to seek therapy, whether it's uh, couples therapy or personal therapy or whatever kind of therapy that you're looking for, you might think that was the big the big obstacle was just coming to that realization or you know granting yourself that grace. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, now what? You know, uh, I don't know who a good therapist is. I don't know how to seek them out. I don't know uh, how to get on their schedule. Oh, everybody is booked. The, the person is clear across town. All, all these other obstacles can pop up. And that, fortunately, that's where BetterHelp becomes a, yes. a real can, great option. They can get you set up with a real licensed therapist a lot sooner and more inexpensively and with fewer roadblocks barriers to entry and if you go to betterhelp.com slash gleeman you get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash gleeman and our second sponsor is uh chomps <laughs> what People is it love the sound effect chomps <laughs> i hope that comes across on zoom as well as it does in i am uh, i am uh, i'll be honest with you, i didn't bring any of my chomps bee sticks here to uh fort myers i'm missing them uh, yeah, so I've become a big fan of beef sticks. Uh, Chomps is uh is is meat sticks. They got beef, they got turkey, they got other stuff. They right. sent us a little uh, variety pack when they first became a sponsor, and I tried basically all of them. And it's a it's a good like throughout the day snack, like you were kind right. of saying. Yeah, you can get, get the munchies in the afternoon or something like that, and you're like, "Boy, this is where things can go sideways in a hurry." Uh, no, it's a great a great option for you is to have a little beef stick. It's not too many calories. It's no you know low in carbs. It's great. Like kids love them. Uh, dads love them too. <laughs> Made with natural ingredients, no sugar, a lot of protein. Uh, nine bold flavors. Yeah. So there's a lot of options. You can find one that you like, or you can get a variety pack. Like we said, yes. yeah. uh, you go to chomps c h o m p s chomps dot com slash gleeman. And they are giving our listeners 20% off their first order and they'll throw in free shipping. That's chomps.com slash Gleeman to see all the flavors and get 20% off your first order with free shipping. C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash Gleeman chomps. Uh, and don't forget to use our promo code Gleeman uh, so they know we sent you. Okay. Let's read through some of these DSP, Dave St. Peter, team president for 20 years. How long has he been the team president? Long time. Uh, I, 15 at least. Yeah. Long time since certainly since we've been doing this show. Yes, for sure. Um, so again, he did a little Q and a with, uh, Evan Drellick, who's the athletics writer who's been covering this. So I just read some of these quotes cause I think they're worth parsing, but also just, he deserves to have his, uh, say in this as people like us react sure. to their actions and their words. So, uh, here's what Dave St. Peter said about the one year deal to return to Bali. Uh, he said, quote, there's a benefit to the clarity of having a deal. This has been a long and winding road. At some point, recognizing the calendar, it was important to bring closure for 2024. For the Twins, the return to Bally Sports is generally viewed as a positive. The people that have produced our games, sold our games, worked to distribute our games, they're dear friends. They've been critical partners of the Twins for a long time, and I know they're going to do an unbelievable job in 2024 with storytelling. All that is true. We talked about this on yep. a episode a few weeks ago it ain't the people at bally sports the you know the producers and the cameramen right. and the on-air talent they've been in much limbo this has been a horrible situation for them too they all do a good job it's not their fault uh here's st peter a little bit more on the the deal to return to bally he said that said 
uh, which a journalism teacher once told me, nothing matters before the word but. <laughs> that's right. Yep, that's right. You can say whatever you want, and then you say, but with that said, uh, St. Peter says, it's not a perfect outcome for anyone. It's a one-year deal for us. Some of it was in our control. Much of it was out of our control. Some of it is a product of the bankruptcy system. And as we think about it from our perspective, it's a balancing act. You balance economics, distribution, and pro production quality and local priorities versus national priorities. And then here's the end of the answer about the one-year deal. Uh, he says, the disappointing news is we had said very openly that our top priority was expansion of reach of our games. We felt we were in a unique position to deliver on that, considering we were a free agent in the television world. And at the end of the day, we ended up doing a one-year deal on linear distribution only. And we recognize that leaves a growing number of our fans in a place where they're going to have a harder time watching our games. That's all true. And, I mean, he didn't dance around that, at least that's... Yeah. In terms of corporate speak, that's at least saying some of the things we said, minus the critical aspects, but it's basically saying we we promised this and we did not deliver on that promise. Uh, so I, I do give him credit for that, I think. But the here's then what he said about the access not changing, like, you know, not delivering on that promise to increase the streaming and you know make it easier for people to watch games. St. Peter said, quote, we get it. We're not tone deaf. We understand the gap and feel horribly that we have, at least in the short term, been unable to address it. But we continue to focus on it, and I'm hopeful that maybe sooner versus later we'll be able to resolve this issue and enhance accessibility. I think it's critical for the Twins. I think it's critical for our industry. Now, I would suggest that there has never been a statement released by a corporate entity or someone high up in a corporate entity that used anything resembling we're not tone deaf in which they were not tone deaf. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> I think it's, it's almost a one for one uh, there, but what he's basically saying is we chose the money. We didn't right. think we were going to choose the money. Right. We thought for the last three or four months that we weren't going to have the ability to choose the money. And so we touted the increased uh, availability right. or accessibility then the money came back into the picture and we said, ah, forget all that. We'll take the money. And that's fine. But there are repercussions to that. You don't right. just get to take the money and get to make it as hard as it's been for people to watch and have people go, oh, what are you going to do? At least they got money. And then not reinvest the money back and in the not tape. reinvest the money. That's right. So here's what he said about that. Um, the will you spend more now question, which is very relevant all of a sudden. Uh, a couple quotes on that. Uh, Dave St. Peter, quote, the clarity around the economics, at least on paper, is helpful. Local television uncertainty was certainly a factor in helping us set up a plan for 2024. I think it remains to be seen how much impact the 24 TV deal is going to have on our 2024 operations, including payroll. But as has been demonstrated in previous seasons, I think our ownership has always remained open-minded about ways to improve our team. Derek Falvey, he's talking about, and our baseball people know that. Again, whether that be consideration of that be consideration of moves here in the short term or over the course of the season. I think those conversations will be had. So that's him saying money's not being spent. Basically, right. we'll be open minded, but hey, you know. Uh, and then here's the last thing on that. Um, he was pressed on it by Evan. Uh, you know, does that mean you'll be actually spending this money? He said, I can't point to a specific change in strategy from the TV deal. Uh, quote, I think it's more likely than not that the reality is any impact from our TV deal relative to our short-term player investments 
is going to probably be limited. But that'll ultimately be up to the market and up to opportunities that Derek feels are good for the Twins. And then la- the very last thing, well, that's... Av- Drellick then said basically, so are you no longer saying that the drop in payroll was tied directly to the drop in local television revenue? And here was his last quote on that. Uh, quote, I'm not going to get into specifics, but local media is one element of that. There are other elements that impact how you think about your budget, or as I would think of it, your business plan. So again, this is all sort of what we're talking about. They chose money over accessibility. Then when asked, okay, you chose money, are you going to use that money to raise the payroll back to the levels somewhere near what people thought before this whole thing started? They're basically saying, no, I mean, we'll be creative and open-minded and all that, but that's a no. And then when asked, well, how's that math check out then? Because <laughs> if you lowered the payroll when the TV money was missing and now most of the TV money's back, but the payroll is going to stay lowered, he's basically saying that was just one element of the reason why the payroll was being lowered. And again, I believe all this stuff. I believe there's spreadsheets somewhere uh, at Target Field offices that are making clear the profits and loss aspect of this. I just think no fan gives us shit about that. Nor right, should yeah, they. Right, right. And I also think the idea that the poll ads absolutely must care tremendously or feel mandate to lower payroll because they might lose an extra $25 million on their, you know, uh, vanity investment in a local team that has increased, you know, 20 fold during the time they've owned it is just absurd on its face. That is a, such a low percentage of anything that would ever matter to them. But uh, that's where we're at. And that's the, wording and the messaging coming from Dave St. Peter, the team president. And it's, uh, it's disappointing. Uh, it's I mean, not shocking. I mean, it's... unfortunately it's not shocking. If it, it would almost be better if this were surprising, right. but it's, it's worse almost. I feel from a fan morale standpoint that it's not surprising. It is the opposite of surprising. It is reinforcing every stereotypical cliched criticism that fans have had rightly or wrongly over the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, uh, you know, whereas I can also, you know, I, I, I can understand, listen, tens of millions of dollars are at stake. That is worth maybe taking a PR hit. But I will also suggest that, you know, the strategy of investing to the point where you lose money when you're in the upswing and in a competitive window and using that as a base for gen- to, to develop a generation of crazy fans Right. In the same way that the whole point of that is you can make up that money again when you're back on a downswing. Right. When you when things when after you have made it to the uh, promised land and you have you know worn the championship ring and yeah, player after player is becoming expensive and suddenly you're like, Jesus, we can't afford all we can't afford this anymore. We can't afford to we can't keep all these guys anymore, right? And some of them are on the decline now. Like they've, you know, they're not twenty six anymore; they're thirty two. Well, yeah, that's at the point where yeah, you can cut payroll, and you know you still got that generation of fans that know the high and understand that you know um, that you, you you've won a championship and these things come and go, right? It's not going to be easy. It's still going to be kind of crummy, but that is, in fact, how a lot of 
mid market and low and small market sure. teams work right that they can make plenty of money by cutting back payroll and taking the shared revenue dollars that show up when you're a crappy team and you're trying to rebuild again right and that can make up for those times that you probably invested a little too much money in it uh you know on the upswing to kneecap yourself when you are at the you know that when you're at a point that you have worked 12 years to get to how about 20 right? years people were waiting for a playoff yeah. one well, i mean that, that's a fair point that's a fair point yeah but you know, e- even if you just viewed like the last you know competitive window through 2010 when they got target field out of right. that competitive window right like did they did develop a generation of fans even without winning a championship at that point but to get to the point where you're like you know you can you are at the point where you could be one of the top two or three teams in the american league maybe you know, be favored in an ALDS, get yourself to an ALCS, get yourself a, a puncher's chance versus the Astros or, you know, whoever is up that at that point. Right. And then to say, you know, yeah, it, 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 it's not just, it's, it's bad business, which, which is right. a, a weird the thing idea, to say about the twins. The idea that the way to improve the demand for your product is to scale back investment in that product. Even for a moron like me, that is just on its face stupid. Like right. that, there's not that's nonsensical. The idea of, well, hey, we got a lower payroll because there's just less fan interest than we were hoping for, and season tickets are not selling, and and all that stuff. How do you think you're going to improve that by slashing payroll and investing less in the product? Like, is that going to increase it? If anything, that's going to handicap you in the sense that even if you do make a successful defense of the AL central title. And even if you get back to the playoffs, you're going to have lost people just because of how you've handled this thing. It's going to be hard to, like you said, create super fans and lifelong fans. And at some point it becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, Hey, we got to cut back payroll because there's just not the excitement or the demand for our product. And we're just not, you know, getting as much revenue as we think. And then a year or two from now, it's going to be like, Man, that hasn't really improved. And I right. you just want to scream, Well, yeah, everyone was really excited about this team, and then you cut 30 million off the right. payroll. Like, what do you think is gonna happen? And how do you change that without investing in your product? How do you change that without spending? And here's how we'll end this, and then we're actually gonna talk a little bit of baseball that to <laughs> we to are in spring training. We should probably be at that. That's true. I made right? yeah. I made John travel to Fort Myers, go into a radio booth at Hammond <laughs> Stadium. Uh, so we we could rant about the uh, the payroll <laughs> right. situation. Uh, here's the last thing I'll say. I looked at the numbers in terms of the Twins' yearly payroll compared to the average MLB payroll of all 30 teams, and this year's current 124 million dollar payroll relative to the major league average at this very moment. And there are still some prominent free agents to sign, so that average will probably go up at least a little bit. Uh, is the lowest relative to MLB average that it's been since the Twins were in the Metrodome. And they can talk all they want about $130 million more than we used to spend, boy. Yeah. Have you tried to buy McDonald's lately? Right, yeah. Uh, everything's more than it used to be. Uh, and so the idea that you snap the 20-year losing streak in the playoffs and then you trot out what is going to be one of the lowest payrolls relative to the league as a whole that you've had since 2010 when you moved into a beautiful new uh, mostly taxpayer-funded ballpark. Right. It, 
is gets to the heart of this entire lengthy too long probably discussion which is what kind of what kind of sense does that make as a someone trying to market your product to people on the most basic level so it's unfortunate on the other hand spring training started this still is the, i think on paper clearly the best team in the AL Central and so we wanted to for anybody who didn't tune out for that lengthy <laughs> payroll discussion or is not like switched to becoming a I'd say become a Brewers fan, but then they're just as bad. They traded away their <laughs> best right. player. That's true. Uh, and their payroll's, I think, 21st. Yeah, that's One, right. yeah, one that's behind right. the 20th. Yeah, they're behind us. For become sure. a Dodgers fan. Everybody will become a Dodgers that's fan. Right. Uh, to kind of go over, well, what are the actual like spring storylines? And not necessarily the in-season storylines. Some of them are going to be overlapped, obviously. But six weeks, uh, they're going to be in Fort Myers. Yeah. Opening day is in Kansas City on March 28th. So about six weeks from now. What is actually being accomplished or what questions are being answered, uh, hopefully, over these next six weeks? Now, there are going to be some new questions that pop up, unfortunately, with injuries and stuff that we talked about. But uh, I think I was actually kind of struck by how few questions I really have as I kind of take. Well, you mean like roster battle type of questions to some extent? Yeah. Yeah. Although. I would, it, it, or at least how many non-health questions I guess I have. I right, have, but right. I think that's sort of always the case on day one because on day one, it's all uh, dummies and dummies and but no bunnies, bunnies and, duckies. and duckies. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I'm an idiot. Duckies um, and bunnies. Yeah. yeah, duckies and bunnies. Thank you. On day one, like we said last year, it was like okay, this seems like a pretty good lineup, and then oop, a week later, Buxton and uh, Polanco and Miranda right, yeah, and right. Kirloff were all hurt. Right. Well, that that creates some questions and some changes. So, yeah, I mean, today you look at the bullpen and you go, they got too many guys. Well, yeah, but what if Stamont isn't as healthy as he thinks or Alcala isn't? And you look at the rotation and you go, well, as long as uh, Di Sclafani is in good shape and looking like himself, the rotation is pretty solid too. Well, what if he's not or what, you know, I think you're right in the sense that you look at the lineup today and they're basically missing one right-handed hitting outfielder from having at least sort of a functionally complete 26 man lineup for opening day. So there aren't a whole lot of like internal battles, but right. a, there, there will be, if they don't bring in someone to fill that role, you're right. Cause then I mean, you're looking right. at Austin Martin versus, I don't even know who. Yeah. Miranda, right. <laughs> right. Michael Hellman. Like there's going to be a full on battle for that spot. And then B, I would say, you know, injuries, these things kind of create themselves, you know, like the, the, we might think we know 25 of the 26 guys on the opening day roster right now. Right. I bet we, I bet we don't. That'd be a good exercise, actually. Nate, we should we should do that actually every spring, maybe. So right here's now. the twenty six. Let's see how many we get right. Yeah, predict the twenty six on day yeah. one of spring training. Yeah, my guess and, is we'll be off by. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I know exactly which of the guys are going to end up in the bullpen. That's the right. one place where I where I. But and you're right though, and it would be interesting to see if how much injuries actually impact that. My guess is we would pretty consistently, or over the last few years at least with this team, get twenty three. Yeah, that's probably tw- right. Or maybe 22. Of Usually one or two bull spend spots, one or two bench spots. And I mean, then on whatever. day one, we wouldn't have put Donovan Solano in there. I know last year. Wow, yeah. He didn't exist in the <laughs> Twins world right, on day right, one. Right. Uh, true. So that's one of the you know storylines, obviously. And then within that, like we said, are they going to bring in Adam Duvall, Tommy right. Pham, re-sign Michael A. Taylor, Randall Grichik, you know, fi- go right. trade for somebody who fits that description. Some right-handed hitting outfielder who can platoon with the Walners and the Keplers of the world, who can take on a bigger role if needed. If it's Michael A. Taylor, who can be insurance for Byron Buxton. That that seems to me just the one 
gaping hole on the roster. And it's not the most important spot on the roster, certainly, but it's the most straightforward, logical, like, oh, they just don't have this. So they should try to get that. And so that's probably one of my bigger questions or spring storylines. I do expect them to do that, but, you know, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. And then uh, there could be other additions beyond that, but I'm pretty skeptical because we just uh, ranted about that. The other big question mark or storyline is, you know, health. Right. Well, the big one there is Byron Buxton. Yep. Always. Every yep. spring. Yeah. Closely related years. to the whole last person on the roster. That's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, last spring, it became clear pretty quickly. And then they basically announced, well, he's just not ready to play center field. And so we're going to try to get him ready to be a DH. And we know how that went. Not, not good. There's more optimism. Now he had another knee surgery. Uh, you know, we'll see when he shows up and he starts running around a little bit, how accurate that ops off optimism actually is but the idea with him is it's a different situation it's yes he's coming off a knee surgery like last year at this time it's a different knee surgery we think we have a better uh handle on the problems we think he's just in better shape uh, condition wise than he was reporting to camp last year at this time those are all great things uh until you get punched in the mouth and then you know <laughs> right. the plan changes so that's obviously probably the single most important question to answer during camp i would say which is just byron buxton question mark uh seemingly every year that's the biggest question and then within that you know the michael a taylor aspect stems from that willie castro's role stems from that austin martin potentially being on the opening day roster stems from that it all sort of is a branch on the byron buxton question mark tree a little bit uh correa to a lesser extent but still similar question mark although he certainly like you said, talking to him uh, a couple hours ago. Yes, he certainly is saying, "I, I feel good. I'm ready to go." Right. Um, and I'm, I'm when I say he's saying, I don't mean like he's lying or anything. It's just uh, that's to me a little different than Buxton in that you can point to a clear thing that they think has been corrected. Um, right. And he led the team, but with but, in, but in both cases, I'll say this: you know, it can be sort of a double blind situation. You know. True. It could be like, in both cases, we're like, well, they weren't very good because they were hurt. Well, I mean, they were hurt. It could be both. For, so for yeah. sure. It could be that their also skills are deteriorating a little bit. We, like, that's not We talked about of. that this time last year with Kenta Maeda, which everyone was like, oh, well, once they get Kenta Maeda back from Tommy John, that's a huge boost to the rotation. Right. And our point I remember talking about at the time was, well, yeah, but he's also gone from 33 to 35 now. And he hasn't right. pitched in two years. Right. And so even without Tommy John surgery and that clouding the picture, degree of difficulty of re- reclaiming your status as a pitcher from that, he might have just gotten worse right. from aging. Uh, and I think we kind of saw that with Kent Maeda, which is he did return from Tommy John. He almost immediately struggled and got hurt. But then he came back and he was pretty good down the stretch. But he wasn't quite the version pre-Tommy John. He was still good, solid sure. mid-rotation guy. And I think that's the worry with Correa, which is when the Twins signed Correa, he was 27. Now he's 29. I'm not saying that's over the hill. Uh, look into the Zoom right now if you want to see over the hill, John. <laughs> right in front of you. Um, up or down really works either way. Uh, or side to side. What do you go, full screen or half screen on these Zooms? Oh, I go very tiny screen. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll put you up to up to the middle to towards Smart. the camera so I can Smart look probably. like I'm looking at you. Okay, that's smart. Um, but, you know, he's lost some speed. 
that's been clear even before the injuries. Right. He was very good, but I would say short of great for most of uh, 2022 when he was healthy. He turned it on at the end, but for the first several months, he was not the MVP caliber player. He was, you know, maybe a borderline all-star caliber right. player. The idea that he's just going to resume being an MVP candidate or even an all-star uh, isn't isn't so set in stone. So I think that is a major question mark, a huge question mark. Uh, I guess I'm more confident in that than I am in Buxton's entire situation. Sure. Because there's there's just more proof of concept with that right, of right. late. And even while Hurt Correa did get almost 600 plate appearances last year, had a great October, et cetera, et cetera. Right. As hurt as he was, he was still able to play and especially be productive right. in October. So, right, and it did seem, particularly with like the double plays, and just watching him physically, right, that yes, it's a double blind, and that he could have also just aged and gotten worse and been injured, right. But you can at least point to it and say it seems pretty clear that he was couldn't run, couldn't yeah, plant right. on his feet, all that sure. stuff. Uh, and then the other like sort of obvious question, I think we can get into some of like the smaller ones here, is. The rotation and just how do you replace Sonny Gray? We talked about that on the last Patreon and you're not going to replace Sonny Gray. Like, in other words, there isn't another guy on this staff other than maybe Pablo Lopez uh, who's going to be runner up for the Cy Young Award or who's going to throw 180 something innings with a 275 ERA. If that's what you're waiting for to quote unquote replace Sonny Gray, right? It ain't happening. But Sonny Gray wasn't going to do that. I, I'll take the over on all those numbers with the Cardinals uh, or worse than all those numbers with the Cardinals this year. And so really how they're looking to replace Sonny Gray is Joe Ryan being closer to the first half version than the second half version. Bailey Ober being the version of all season, but being it for 175 innings right. instead of 140 in the majors and 30 something in the minors or whatever. And then Chris Paddock giving them 125, 140, 150 innings of healthy, good, mid-rotation or better starting performance, which they seem fairly optimistic about. And if you get two of those three things, you probably go a long way uh, towards replacing Sonny Gray, quote-unquote replacing Sonny Gray. And then in the fifth spot, whether it's Di Sclafani for most of the year or Louis Varlin takes over or David Festa steps up and takes on that, that's also key too. Um, And so... It's going to be hard to replace Sonny Gray, but I think the idea that just by removing him from what was a really good rotation suddenly makes the rotation not good anymore is probably a oversimplification or an overreaction because, and these aren't perfect, but if you look at most projections, whether it's fan graphs, baseball prospectus, whatever your projection system of choice, minus Sonny Gray, they're still one of the three or four best, certainly top five rotations in all of baseball and that is with skepticism surrounding ryan and paddock right. and yep. these scalfani and all that and so uh there yeah it's i don't not I, as, I don't know if we're gonna know who's replacing sunny gray by the end of spring training i think that's a question that's gonna have to be answered throughout the year right but it will be sort of interesting to see like who's got some steam and and you know who are people talking about i'll yeah I, i'll throw one more uh there towards the bottom of the rotation i'm starting to get a little steam on simeon woods richardson um, as to whether you read my article from last year, it'll oh, yeah, sways you over those. Uh, uh, I think so. Why, did you did you have something similar last year? Yeah, he, how, how, he, how he was going to be have a breakthrough year. Well, 
the things he told you was it yesterday when you talked to him or the day before? Yeah, yesterday when I talked to him. The thing he told you yesterday about you know changing his mechanics and trying to get some velocity back right, and yeah. all that stuff. A couple days ago, yeah. Uh, those are all good things. Right. Uh, similar to what he said last no. year too. No, but I just uh, I, I just heard it from some executives like we're kind of impressed with Simeon Woodchurch. Now maybe they're impressed because he was in he's been camp for a month. You know, well, what see, I mean, that's the sort of thing that that, that that warms everybody's uh, warms everybody's hearts. If you're... Simeon Rudz Richardson is a great dude to talk to and a very right. hard worker, and will get the benefit of the doubt for those sort of what we call soft reasons right. um, relative to some other pitchers, maybe. And he's still certainly young enough to right. for things to click into place. I mean, he was 22 last year. That was, brought, that was brought up by executives as well, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and so I'm willing to believe. Um, but realistically, his stuff hasn't been good for two, three years now. Um, and there, even when they acquired him, there was a lot of talk about his mechanics because he has weird mechanics. Like he had right, weird yeah. mechanics and then they tried to tweak it and he went back to the old way and stuff. And so his velocity for a while was good, but inconsistent. And then it just ceased being good. Right. And it was like, well, what's what's happening here? So, yeah, I think it's a good thing that he's trying to change and kind of get back to what's more comfortable to him and, and give it a shot. But uh, I, th- I think they're seeing some better velocity out of it is what I was saying. So we'll, we'll yeah, see. That's good. Uh, maybe the actual games. I don't know. I mean, in terms of who like literally replaces Sonny Gray in the rotation, it's Di Scalfani. Well, well, it's Paddock. Right. Really. It's really Paddock. Paddock, yeah. You're and right. Di Scalfani replaces Maeda, right? Right. And so that's going to be the opening day rotation unless somebody gets hurt. Like I mean, I'm I'm pretty certain I could. I, it's going to be I Pablo agree. Lopez on opening day. It's going to be in one way or the other, Ryan Ober or Ober Ryan two and three. Then it's going to be Paddock four, and it's going to be Disclafani five. Unless somebody gets hurt. Now, actually, Paddock could have an amazing spring and be in the two three spot too. I mean, they seem very high on his upside, uh, and for good reason. But uh, you know, Louis Varlin is the sixth starter right now. I would say probably. David Festa is the seventh starter right now. And then you start to get into the Simeon Woods Richardson's and, you know, who knows at that point. But then the other storyline that's kind of based on that is can the bullpen pick up some of the missing, sl- you know, slack? Right. If right. there is slack, especially early in the, in the season. And I don't think it's true that they lost Sonny Gray and said, Oh man, we got to build a mega bullpen here. Like we got to just go nuts because right. really they haven't spent much money. Most of these signings have been around a million bucks. And the only guy they traded for was Topa, who was included in the Polanco deal. He wasn't the headliner. And then Okert, who they traded Nick Gordon for. The actual right. investment in the bullpen has not been that huge, but it is a very deep and I think pretty good group. We've talked a couple of times about how like fan graphs and stuff project them as the best bullpen in the American League. Take that with a grain of salt. But the idea is the baseline talent collection is really good. And we started to see that in like August and especially September of last year as they started to add Paddock and Louis Varlin and they got Brock Stewart back healthy and they got Jack uh, Griffin Jacks kind of straightened out a little bit. And I think they've kind of Paddock won't be in the bullpen and Varlin probably won't be in the right. opening day bullpen. Uh but I do think this bullpen on paper, I mean, look, you have Duran as the hammer. He's one of the probably two or three best relievers in the world. That helps a lot. We saw how good Brock Stewart can be when he's healthy. We saw how good Griffin Jacks can be over the last couple of years when he's you know going well. Caleb Theobar is a perfectly good left-handed kind of seventh-inning guy. 
You add Topa to the mix. Then you had like the depth pieces like Jay Jackson and Okert and Stamont yeah. and Alcala. Yeah. I just think it's it's really good. I mean, they have high end guys in Duran, Stewart, to some extent, Jax and Topa. They have kind of middle relief relief depth. They have multiple lefties who can get it done, and that's not even mentioning Funderburk, right. who I think probably will be pushed out at least at the beginning of the season. They go, I would say, I don't know, ten deep. 11 deep on guys. I'm not saying you want them with the ball in the ninth inning of the World Series. Right. I'm saying if you need, if it's a three to two game, they in the are seventh ma- inning, major league baseball caliber relievers. Yes, right? relievers. Yeah. And they go like 10 or 11 deep, honestly, and they're going to take eight. Right. And that's just, they haven't had that for a very long time. I don't know that they've ever had that when we've been writing and talking You're about right. them, really. Yeah. I mean, they've had some good bullpens. Don't get me they've wrong. They've had some great bullpens, right. Uh, but the, the depth they've assembled. Um, I think is good and kind of the backup plan. Like, I think the left-handed situation is a perfect example. They got right. Caleb Fielbar, who's certainly one of the, I don't know, 10 best lefty relievers in the American League. And then they had Cody Funderburg, who they liked a lot last year in the minors and showed out pretty well in a dozen innings in the majors. And the thought for a while this offseason was, all right, well, he'll be the second lefty. He can kind of take the the low and medium leverage lefty spots Theobar will take the medium and high, and then we got a pretty good situation there. Well, they weren't satisfied with that. They went out and traded for Okert from the Marlins, who then becomes the second lefty and then pushes Funderburk to the third lefty, which is at AAA. Well, that's not great for Cody Funderburk, obviously. Right. But having three major league caliber left-handed relievers is, is pretty good, and I think that's sort of the approach they've taken in general to building out the bullpen, just to building the team in general, but to the bullpen especially, which is if Stallman's hurt, they still got Elko. They still got Jay Jackson for those roles. If, you know, Theobar is hurt or something, or they decide to trade a lefty, they still got Funderburk who can step in. It's There's just more There's more options that are capable before you get into the, well, hey, we'll call this guy up and see, you know, Cole Sands, right. Josh Winder, Simeon Woods Richardson, that type of thing. Uh, and so I think they're in a really good spot from the bullpen and, you know, bullpens can blow up even good bullpens can blow up so i'm right. not, it's not it's the least reliable thing to kind of uh build around i guess uh but i think that's part of the reason that the pitching staff projects so well even minus sunny gray and minus kent maeda uh are there any spring storylines now that you're there beyond those four or five you know kind of big things i got a couple more that i can read too on this on the smaller front but uh I mean, we well, imagine- I mean, I, I mean, I'll be interested to see uh, where Julian's defense is at second base now that they are just absolutely committed to having him at second base. We had Correa talk a little bit today as he looks looks at his infield, his starting infield right now, and says, "You know, I got Royce Lewis on one side; he was a superstar last year. You got Julian on the other, ha- other side; he was a breakthrough uh, guy last year. That's going to be uh, real impressive." Uh, you know, I'm also interested in following the health of. I want to see where Kirilov's at. Uh, and what he's going to be uh, doing, and to some extent, and maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Miranda. Uh, we've already been sort of sort of told. You know, I'm not sure we know exactly what Miranda's health status is in terms of whether or not he's going to be playing in the field right away, uh, or whether or not he's. You know, I I think he's going to be hitting right away. I'm not sure he's going to be playing in the field right away as he gets past this shoulder issue, right? But you know, Kirilov is. Um, is in, I don't know if I'm going to get a ton of answers on what Kirloff's role is going to be here in spring training. I think we're going to see a lot of him at first base, along with you know probably Santana. 
at the, at first base as well. But I will be interested to see like how he bounces back from from a weird season. You know, he had a he had a season where he started out hurt for the first two months of it. Then he came up, kind of gradually warmed up, tore it up for like three weeks. Yes, he was one of their best players for I would say basically July, a month, July, yeah. right? Yeah. Something like that, right? Then you know we the same thing happened that kind of seems to happen with Kirloff. He ends up with a you know kind of goes down with an a, a lingering injury. You know it goes on all the way into the postseason where you know a critical error is sort of one of the results of that injury, and then an off season surgery again. And you're you know I mean I'm encouraged. Or you can say listen, this is a different thing. He's got you know maybe he's gotten past the wrist thing, which frankly was career threatening you know on top of it but you know at some point you kind of like boy two two years have hit with the wrist injury now we have the shoulder problem you know what what is it going to have what where are we going to have a year where we get to see him healthy and you know productive and in the lineup the full year right and um uh, you know, I'm hopeful that he can do that and that he can be the hitter that we saw in July or something close to that July spread out over that. I mean, that's a huge difference on this particular team. Um, and if, if not, well, then, yeah, then you've got Santana sitting there as sort of insurance policy uh, in there as well. So I don't know. We'll yeah, see. I think that's a good one. I think that the thing with Gearloff is the the flashes are always there, right? Like every year between injuries. There's always a month, whether it's at Triple A a couple years ago where he was just he was the best hitter in Triple A for six weeks or whatever, or last year where for four, five, six weeks he was just a middle of the lineup, drawing walks, hitting for power, driving in big runs for the Twins. There's always that flash that you can point to and go, oh, that's why everybody's been excited about this dude for seven years. That's why it's worth sticking through the injuries and the up and down production and all this stuff, but. I, I agree with what you're saying, which is you need to see that for months, not weeks. Right. right. Uh, I mean, let's start there before we start talking about full seasons. Like he needs to put together consecutive months where he's playing regularly and producing and hitting for the ball hard consistently and not putting people in position where they're like, is he, what's, is he okay? Right. Is he, are we hurting him by playing him? Is he just going through a rough patch or is this a lingering effect of, uh, wrist and now shoulder problems and you know Santana is an insurance policy for that Miranda potentially is another alternative at the first base DH right. spot right. much right. different type of player obviously right. and just in general the bar for offense as a first baseman DH and occasional left fielder which is what Kirloff is 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 too high to live through the lows like you need pretty consistent production. You need the guy that he's shown flashes of being, and the end result can't be, you know, a 725 OPS. Right. It can't be 20% of the time he's great, 50% of the time he's injured, and the other 30% of the time he's one of the worst hitters in the lineup while we're trying to kind of straighten things out. And then you look up at the end, it's like, we played half the time, and he, you know, he ranked uh, 22nd out of 30 first baseman or something like that. That can't be the payoff at this point. I mean, this is his fourth season. He's either 26 or 27. The talent is there, which is why we're still talking about him, and they're still counting on him for a big role. Um, And, yeah, in terms of what can you learn in spring training, I I mean, it gets real simple with Kirilov, in my opinion, over the last couple years. Is he hitting the ball hard, and is he hitting the ball in the air? Right. 
That's true. And I don't even That's I don't fair. mean like towering fly balls. I just mean ground balls have been a bad sign for him. Uh, ground balls mean that his his something is hurting and his swing is out of whack and the mechanics are not where they need to be. And so is he hitting the ball hard, not on the ground? And if he's doing that, I don't care if he lines out to center field 50 times and he's over. If you can look at the exit velocities and the launch angles or just the eye test stuff, all right, he smoked that ball. Uh, that's what you need to see consistently. And it can't just be for, you know, a week. And then all of a sudden goes back to grounding out to first base over and over. Right. And so I think that's a, a big question with him. Um, let's see. I got a couple other, uh, I mean, Santana, we mentioned how much does Santana have left in the tank? Basically yeah, is yeah. a good question. Yeah. We've talked about the role. Is he just a platoon guy? Is he going to end up being the everyday first baseman? I think something in between those two things is probably the right approach at age 38 with him. Uh, but that depends. I mean, if Kirilov and Miranda are both hurt, I'll tell you something, one thing. Carlos Santana's going to be playing every day right. if those two guys are hurt. And so that's a question I have, basically. And then along those same lines, what version of Willie Castro are we getting for 2024? <laughs> he has converted a lot of people into being Willie Castro believers, and rightfully so. I mean, he was excellent for them. In that, given the role and given the complete lack of expectations, he was awesome last season. He was a cult hero. He saved their ass numerous times in terms of stepping into a regular role when guys were hurt. He was just a perfect super utility guy, and he was also really fun to watch. But his track record prior to last year was not so good, and it, he wasn't that different Like in terms of stylistically. He was just the best version of that that we've seen. So I think now he's got a $3 million contract. He's got a locked-in opening day role. Uh, he's the number one Buxton insurance if Buxton is not ready to play center field. And honestly, even if Buxton is ready to play center field, that's not going to be six days a week. Right. It's going to be, you know, three, four days of Buxton, two, three days of Willie Castro in center field. So that's one of the questions I have. And then, you know, we talked about, or you talked a minute ago about Julian's coming through as a rookie sure. and yeah. Lewis and Walner. I'm of the opinion that was the most productive twins rookie class of all time. Uh, and all three of those guys have a chance to be the long-term building block star guys for them. Uh, well, how can you, how can you replicate at least some of that for 2024? And I don't mean they're going to be everyday players from day one, which is that's true. That's going to help. But I mean, who's this year's Julian or this year's Walner? And they don't have three guys like that who are just knocking on the door to the majors. If they had that, that would be amazing. But they don't. That's a once every. 30 year type of thing. Right. What they do have is Brooks Lee. Right. And he's very likely to start the season at AAA and will probably, much like Julian last year and Walner last year, will probably need an injury to a veteran player or to an opening day player to open the door for him to become a regular for the Twins. But similar to Julian and Walner last year, and to some extent Lewis last year, once that door is open, I do think the talent is there for him to never go back. Like we saw that with Julian, basically. Right. He came up briefly a couple times because guys were hurt, Polanco. Then Polanco actually got injured, like in June or whenever it was. And Julian got called up. And then within a few weeks, it was pretty clear, oh, this dude ain't going anywhere, right. even when Jorge's back. Yeah. And I think Brooks Lee has the ability to do that. The question I have is just, where's that door going to open for him? And will he be ready to pounce when the opportunity is there? Or will it be you know, more of a gradual thing like we saw with Walner, where it's he's called up, he does well, but they send him back, all that. 
I'll be I mean, interested to see where he's playing here in spring training. Yes, that's another like, story. One of the position, one of the which position? Like on the one hand, they probably could use some shortstops in some of these games. You know, they I don't right. know that they got a lot of guys that could uh, play shortstop on the on the roster. I mean, but if you, I presume Royce Lewis is not going to be playing shortstop. Maybe Brooksley's playing a lot of shortstop here, and then you know, does he play that in St. Paul? And you know, when he comes up here, right. does he have to switch to another position, or is you know, are they trying to keep those skills strong? I'm kind of interested to see. What yeah. position he's at? I mean, as of six months or a year ago, if you talk to a lot of like twins, you know, minor league side development guys or coaches or even guys like Falvey, the idea was kind of well, if we're just kind of going purely off skill sets and tools, some people like Royce Lewis as a center fielder. That ain't gonna right, happen, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, and a lot of people thought, you know, Brooks Lee's a decent shortstop, but. That's not going to happen because you got Carlos Correa. And also, Brooksley was never projected as like a gold glove shortstop. So you're not uh, hurting yourself there. Well, then it was like, well, does he go to third or does he go to second? And a lot of people were like, well, he's not like a real fast, quick guy. He's more of a baseball IQ, got a pretty good arm, got real good hands. Well, that's more of a fit traditionally at third than it is at second. But then in the meantime, Royce Lewis, the door opened for him at third base. Right. And he took advantage. And I thought he improved at third base to the point that he was solid there by the end of the season. And you can certainly envision him being a very good defensive third baseman. And just as importantly, he seemed to like playing third base. And perhaps just as importantly, why why mess with it at this point? Like, especially with him, given what he's gone through. And so what that does is, well, shortstop's locked in with Carlos Correa. Third base, it's not locked in, but I think they would prefer to just leave Lewis alone yeah, for the I next agree. 10 years. So that leaves second base and Brooks Lee can definitely be a good second baseman. I mean, if you can play shortstop, you can play second. Well, base. It's, fun, it's funny that. because I think Brooks Lee, as you kind of walked through, we talked about Kirloff. We talked about Santana. We've talked about Julian. I think Brooks Lee is sort of the backup at five different positions right now. Sort of. Cause I mean, other if, pieces if any can of those move. five guys get hurt, you know, if, if Santana gets hurt, well, then maybe you're moving Kirloff to DH. You're moving, uh, Julian to first base, and you're moving Brooks Lee to second base. Like, right. it, 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 if any of those spots, if if Correa goes down, well, Brooks Lee's probably your new shortstop. If the Glaze Lewis goes down, well, then Brooks Lee's probably yeah, your new third. I think baseman. you're right. I mean, uh, he's he is uh, he's got multiple different paths. Let's say to uh, to uh, a call up sometime here in by the certainly by the middle, I think, of 2024. Yeah. Um, uh, similar to that, and sitting right next to him, the you know, roster right next to him, and they've seen a lot of them together. Uh, Brooks Lee and Austin Martin. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Austin Martin is. You know, last year was last spring was just such a. I think I think you and I both had somewhat a fair amount of interest in tracking Austin Martin in spring training last year when we showed up, and then that almost immediately went out the window. He ended up having the elbow injury. Yeah, for a while we were wondering whether or not he was going to have to undergo Tommy John or something like that. He didn't really, you know, show up into at St. Paul until the middle of the season, and uh, then everybody was, you know, thrilled with how he looked at the end of uh, the season to the point where, you know, I've heard heard Twins executives, you know, ask out loud, "Is he already at a similar level in terms of offensive production?" and you know, sort of overall value, how much different is he than Michael A. Taylor if you bring him back as a right-handed option in center field? And 
or, you know, as a, you know, right-handed option in center field who can also occasionally play some left field, you know, maybe give Walner a break, et cetera. Right. I, I, I'm going to be interested to see how, what kind of camp Austin Martin has, where they're using him, how much time he's getting. I think he's going to get a lot of time. For sure he is. You know? I mean, we, we, he got a lot of time early last. He was playing right. second base. He was playing. Right. Like, yeah. They started to talk about him. And then, like you said, he just got he got hurt, and I don't think right. he was going to make the opening day roster. But no, he Julian dominated the prospect talk of camp because he was so good, right? But I think a healthy Austin Martin would also have been yeah. in that conversation because he was playing in major league games. He was starting games at second. He was playing some outfield. They were starting to talk about his speed and his at bats. And yeah, I mean, he's much different stylistically than Michael A. Taylor. I'll also be I, interested. To, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think there's value in having both which we talked about on the Patreon a couple of days ago. But if that's not in the cards, I have I would have no problem whatsoever saying, you know what? Yeah, Austin Martin was only good for 45 games at AAA or whatever. But he's like 25. Right. He played big-time college for three years. Like, I, I have no problem just saying, let's start it. Let's start that clock right now. Whether it's center field, backup, left field, platoon, second base, whatever. I mean, he could platoon with Julian at second base. He could platoon with either of the corner uh, lefty bats. He's a right-handed hitter. And I also think he brings a dimension, speed, and on-base skills and defensive flexibility that those never are going to go out of style, uh, especially with – I mean, we saw that with Willie Castro, minus the on-base skills. But, like, there are so many spots where you can just go, oh, hell, somebody's on base, send in Austin Martin a pinch run for him. Great. Right. Or you just need a decent at-bat against the lefty. You know he's not going to swing and miss. He's going to put the ball in play. He's going to, you know, pressure the defense. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Austin Martin's stock has dropped a ton since the Twins traded for him or since he was the fifth pick in the draft out of Vanderbilt. But don't confuse that with the idea that he can't be a solid major league player in maybe right now or similar to Brooks Lee, you know, come May, June, July or whatever. So, yeah, that's definitely where those guys are, how those guys play, but also where are they playing? Are they starting? Are they yeah, playing right, major league yeah, games? Right. Are they being asked to travel, which is usually a lesser lineup that goes on the road? Well, I'm, they sure play, they, I'm sure they. And we well, got sure. a lot of long road trips too. Like but what I mean is, to see what they said. Those, is so. Brooks Lee getting some reps as Carlos Correa's double play partner? Right. Is yeah. Austin yeah. Martin starting games in center field with some other major leaguers in that lineup? I think right. those are definitely both things. Is uh, Julian getting any time at first base? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of like. Watching Julian's defense is important because I, I've re I, I always mention Corey Koski as the last guy, which is ironic because he wears number forty-seven for Koski because right, yeah, they're both right, Canadian, yeah, right? That's right. Um, late blooming, you know, right? Non-traditional path to baseball. It's an interesting comp. Corey Koski was a butcher at third base when he came up to the point that I remember Tom Kelly like said as much and started playing him at DH in left field. Right, and then you fast forward five years, and Corey Koski, I think, was a Gold Glove caliber third baseman. I agree. Like Eric Chavez used to win the Gold Gloves then, and sure. Beltre maybe, but or might not have been Beltre at that point. But anyway, he was, was certainly, <laughs> yeah. He, Koski worked his ass off and sh showed such steady improvement that at the end he was one of the Twins' best defensive players. Like he was really good at third, and I don't know that Julian can get to that level at second base. Just from a tool standpoint, I think some of it's lacking a little bit. But from this year, last year at this time to now, or to the guy we saw in October and September for the Twins, vast improvement defensively at second base. I mean, just substantial. And 
that might be the hardest improvement to go to, oh my God, are we really playing that guy bad? To yeah, he's he's fine. Yeah. Right. That that's those are that's those are the big steps. The right. small step is can we refine this? Can we refine that to get you from yeah, he's fine to all right, he's he's good there. Yeah, right. uh, and I think if he gets to that point, then you got some interesting decisions. But I think the odds of him being better than Brooks Lee long term defensively at second base are are pretty low, just in terms of skill sets. And so I have no problem sure. with that. I would I'll sign up for ten years of Lewis at third, Correa at short, Brooks Lee at second, and Eddie Julian at first. Sure. Give me that for five more years, and I would be happy. That could be one of the best offensive and defensive infields in the American league. Uh, you have a switch hitter, a lefty hitter and two right-handed hitters. You got three former shortstops. Uh, you got some guys with speed. You got some guys with power. You got some guys with contact skills. I mean, that, that quartet, if that's your infield, um, like, you know, from the middle of this season on, depending on what happens with Brooks Lee, I think that's like, that yeah. would be the strength of a team on which you can build for a long time. I'll tell you the, of the three and three rookies that really broke through in the lineup though, my last one, again, a lot of these questions, I feel like I'm not really going to get an answer in spring training. You're just going to kind of get some hints as to sure. what's going on, right? Or what the thought process is. Or, well, frankly, we'll be asking Rocco some of these questions just straight up. Like, you know, uh, so maybe we'll get some answers that way, too, or at least what the plan is. Uh, but of the three, you know, guys that really had breakthrough years, the one I'm most nervous about is Walner. Walner had the least time in the majors. He, uh, you know, had a hot start and then, you know, faded a little bit. He didn't have a great postseason. Uh, it's clear that you know he that the league was making some adjustments to him, and it's not uh, it's not clear that he had an answer for some of the adjustments they were making. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to see. The first thing I want to see is, and I'm not sure I'll see get a taste of this in spring training or not, because everybody's just kind of working on their own stuff a lot of the time. I'm going to be interested to see how they pitch him if they try to get him early on last year. You know, the pitching was uh, they were trying to beat him by throwing high in the zone and having him chase high fastballs. And it looked like he made an adjustment to their adjustment and uh, really handled that. And then by the time the postseason go, no, no, we're going to feed you a bunch of stuff low and away. We're going right. to, we're, 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 it was this all breaking. You're, stuff. you're looking, you're looking, you've adjusted your vision. So you're going to be looking uh, lower in the zone. Okay. We're going to give you some stuff lower in the zone, but it's not going to be on the plate. It's going to be a slider right. away. And let's see if, let's see what you, if you, can make the adjustment now to not swing at that. So I, yeah. I'm interested to see, you know, again, I'm not sure that's something that's going to be answered in spring training, uh, but it's, you know, it's a question I've gotten and maybe we'll get some hints, hints about it in spring training. Here. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm very optimistic about Walner, obviously this time last year, and especially the first couple of months of the season, I was on every show saying, why is Walner still at triple? This is absurd. And it, it paid off. I mean, he was even better than I would have imagined. Uh, in the second half of the twins. I mean, he can hit. The yeah. guy's got massive power, and while he does strike out a lot, his his approach at the plate is pretty sound. Like, he's not a guy who just chases bad pitches, and he does swing and miss, but he draws walks. Again, massive power. Uh, and I think the defense doesn't look pretty, but I think it's, it's less bad than it looks, and I think the arm plays, certainly if he ends up in right field long-term, but as a left fielder for now, uh, I don't know that I want him playing against lefties at this point, which is why we keep talking about bringing in a right-handed hitter right. or maybe someone like Austin Martin being a platoon sure. partner for him. I think that would be the best short-term and long-term probably. Um, and yeah, there are adjustments that need to be made. I think, you know, he's just not as good of a, he's older and less 
upside build than Lewis, certainly, and probably based on what now we've seen from Julian. And so, yeah, that would lead to him having the most skepticism right. around him. But I do think if he were just the one good rookie last year, there'd be a lot more maybe excitement or faith sure. in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're now he's been like, overshadowed those... a little bit by the other two. Yeah, yeah which, that's, that's fair, fine. That's I'm point. not saying yep. that's like going to wreck him. But I do think, you know, having talked to him when he was a guest at the Meltdown, he he took the demotions. I mean, the guy who got on base 10 straight times and then they sent his ass to AAA after right. the game. Yes. Right. And, I, you know, I would have... Uh, you would not want to read my texts after that if I were Matt Walner. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Maybe he was like that too. Right. He said he said and did all the right things, and he went and he crushed at AAA, and then when the door opened right. for him again, he kicked it down and stayed. And so I I do hope that from a like a mental standpoint or just a comfort level, the idea that that job is yours if you take it, like unless you just have a brutal spring, and maybe even if you do have a brutal spring. You're going to be the opening day left fielder. Like it's a different scenario than last year. You're going to get a longer leash. You're going to get a runway to show what you can do. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big question too. And the fact that there are three of these dudes who are great as rookies and we're sitting here talking about how good they can be sophomores and what right. questions do they have to answer. This Do not take this for granted if you're a Twins fan. Like these type of good prospects turned good rookies come around like once every five or ten years. So the fact that there's three of them Right. At the same time, that's one third of an everyday lineup, basically, who can be these guys for this season and beyond. And so, oh, the, so the the fourth rookie. This will be my last one. We can okay. I'll give you one oh. more too at the end of that. Okay, go go <laughs> ahead. You can go ahead. No, go. I mean, it, okay. while we're talking about the outfield, I just thought, you know, Mac, I've seen Max Kepler here. I uh, haven't haven't seen him a lot, but he was here. I, is he ugly now? Showed up, or is he still really good looking? No, it turns out he's still pretty good looking. Damn. Uh, you know. <laughs> It's a tale of two seasons for Max. And, uh, you know, yeah. we've seen a little bit of that before, you know, sort of the hot and coldness of him. Uh, it seemed like at the end of last season or midway through last season, he made an adjustment such that he was going to just start, you know, uh, not trying to hit the ball everywhere. He was just going to hit the snot out of the ball on they a regular basis. It's going to work on you, right? Grip it and rip it. Yeah. I mean, from golf terms. It's funny because I remember a story being written Twins Day. I wish I could remember who it was in March, basically saying, any chance that the Joey Gallo factor rubs off on Kepler a little bit? Like, let's let's quit worrying about B-A-B-A-I-P. Can Gallo teach Kepler just hit the ball as hard as you can? You've got the skill to do it. I don't think that I don't think that the two are related. But I would I do, love but... to have audio of any conversation <laughs> the two of them had one on one that right. lasted more than forty five seconds because yes. it would be fascinating. <laughs> right. There's not two different, more different, uh, right personality types. Right. No. Exactly. Of, but... Uh, but so I'm not. I'm not suggesting that happened. Right. What I'm suggesting though is that it's interesting that you know one guy is completely different approach ended up rubbing off on the veteran the other veterans approach and had a lot of success i wish joey gallo could have uh, done a little bit of the same yeah. with max kepler's piece right yeah, uh, I, mean, I think it's funny because when kepler had his career year in 2019 right when he hit 36 homers i think or something like that after being sort of the same player for three or four years same average player broke out and then went back to being that player and then had a good like you said great second half last year Everyone was like trying to figure out, well, how can he improve, including last year going in? And it was like, well, the shift should the, the shift limitations should help him. And that did help him, but I don't think it, that's why he had a great second half. What what really happened was the same thing that happened in 2019. 
which right. is he just said, screw it. I'm just going to hit it over everyone. Right. Forget right. shift limitations yeah. and trying to go the opposite field. Yeah, that's, what that's if fine. I just launch this sucker 400 feet and I get to run around the bases? Like, <laughs> right, and yeah, that's right. what he did in the second half. And you, you could see it from a, you know, just watching it. <clears throat> but then even with the numbers, strikeout rate went up a little bit. Walk rate went down a little bit, which means he's getting more aggressive. When he does swing, he's taking bigger swings. And he just started hitting the ball hard in the air. Right. And that is the best thing you can do. And so there are little tweaks that he can do. You know, obviously using the opposite field has been a question with him for his entire career. That would still be a good thing to sprinkle yeah. in. But if he wants to launch it, you know, over the fence 30 times, yeah. he's just going to have a, a pretty decent yeah, season. I mean, so. it, it felt like last year he just came to the decision like, maybe I maybe I shelve this opposite field stuff. That I've been working on and just see what happens if I go completely the opposite way. I'm just going to pull it as hard as I can and see what happens. Yeah. And, and now, and you know, he did in fact, I mean, as much as we talk about the rookies and everything else, that second half offensive surge that that team had. Oh, he was phenomenal. In the he, second he, half. he was the primary and, catalyst for that. I mean, like him that, and Lewis were their two best players basically right. in the second half, I would say. Right. Um, they had a lot of good second halves. Don't get me wrong. Right. And, uh, but yeah, Kepler was phenomenal. Right. And so you know, if we get that guy for the whole year, well, again, that that solves a lot of issues. You know, uh, as much as we focused on the pitching this offseason, right, and as much as we focused on the bullpen that they've built up, uh, this – it could be that the, the strength of this team is the lineup, right? That's, yeah. that's, what, that's what turned a – Frustrating 2023 into an, a a uh, a celebrated 2023 over the last uh, two three months of that season, and if we're seeing that offense, and we're seeing some of those performances, well, then you've got a little bit more uh, grace to work through who's going to be the number two pitcher on that staff. You've got right. uh, you know, and, or to to figure out how you're going to sort through the bullpen. Uh, you, you might you might you might not need to use the high leverage guys quite as much as you thought you were going to in a lot of those. Yeah, situations. I mean, think of how many games last year in the first half, the pitching staff right. gave up one run, two runs. It's the yeah. seventh inning, and it's a two-two game, and it's like, my God, like yeah. what? Give them four runs, and this is a win. And yeah, in the second half, they had the second best lineup in the American League. Yeah. Only the Astros were more productive right. uh, in the second half, and all those guys are back. I mean, Michael I mean, Taylor's you, gone, but you, you can certainly argue over if post All Star break. It was the offense that, for sure, the, 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 the as much as we look back on the whole year and say, "Boy, was that a great pitching staff!" and that pitching absolutely carried that team. That's true over the whole season, but over the second half, where they really had a lot of success, the side that was the best side was the offensive side. Yes, and, and the the best part of the pitching staff, especially in September, was the bullpen. Right. Yeah. Exactly Which is right. interesting yeah, too. And right. this is not a bad thing, like that you can point to stretches last season where each of those three phases. Were the best on the team. Now, the biggest stretch was the whole first half. The pitching staff. I mean, the right. starting pitching was just phenomenal. But right. that's not a bad thing. I mean, I th I certainly think this team, like in the NBA, I'm an NBA nerd. Basically, if you want to win a championship, and this has been the struggle that the Wolves have been trying to figure out offensively, if you want to win a championship, you got to be top ten in offense and top ten in defense, basically, or you got to be so good at one, right. That you can be like number one in defense and you're 15th in offense or number right. one in offense. and But right. really, if you look back at almost any championship team or even any finals contender, they're like in the top 10 for both. And I honestly, 
it's not as true in baseball because a run is a run in baseball or whatever. But I th- I think this very realistically has a chance to be a top five uh, hitting group and a top five pitching group in the American right. League. Yeah. And maybe even in MLB, if we're being sort of optimistic. But I think it's one of the better bullpens or the deeper, you know, bullpens in the American League. I think the starting rotation, if Lopez is legit again, will absolutely be one of the top five in the American League. And I think, like we said, we have three months of evidence where the lineup with all these young guys was was one of the best in baseball. And that's with no Buxton and a pretty limited Correa. Which, by the way, does still does not get them off the hook for not going out and getting a, a, a reliable uh, yeah. postseason starter could, this season because they were cutting be payroll. You're like, I'm not, uh, I'm not here, right? Well, okay, this is the natural one for me to end on, which is we yeah. talked about the three rookies who were so good. Well, there was a fourth rookie who was pretty good too, and we've just talked about the rotation and adding another starter. Well, this guy could potentially be a starter, which is Louis Varlin. And so you're going to see him start in spring training. Like, that's not in question. Right. Like it's not, he's not going to come out first appearance of spring training and pitch the eighth inning as a reliever. And that will be the big reveal, you know, the gender reveal <laughs> where right, it's yeah, be right, right. blue or pink or whatever. And it'll be like, Oh, he's a reliever. Now he'll be stretched out. I mean, he's going to start in spring training. He's going to throw a normal progression, which is like two innings, the first time, three innings, then four, then five. The goal is to have him prepared to be a starter because you can then turn him into a reliever. Once that takes place, if needed a right. lot easier than, prepping him as a reliever and then saying, sure. oh, no, we need you to be a starter. That takes weeks. Um, but if Di Sclafani's not healthy or performing well, if Chris Paddock has any setbacks, or if there's just any injuries in general, I think Louis Varlin will be the fifth starter. Uh, but the the question that they have to answer is, if nothing really goes wrong with the five current guys in the rotation ahead of him, is it better to have him be the AAA starter you know on speed dial right or throwing smoke in the major league bullpen and my answer to that has changed in the last month because i would have argued a month or two ago when the bullpen looked good but not this good that let him be like the like two inning guy or the three inning guy in the bullpen because he can help the bullpen and he can still stay somewhat stretched out when needed but now that there's already more quality arms in the bullpen than they're ever going to be able to take on an opening day roster, it sounds crazy to say. I mean, he would be an upgrade on some of these guys maybe, but you don't need Louis Varlin in the bullpen necessarily. Right. What your biggest need is a backup starter for when something inevitably goes wrong with the five veterans in the rotation. And I think having him on speed dial as that in St. Paul has more value than having him as your fifth best reliever or whatever, because their fifth best reliever is not a problem right now, or even their seventh best. And so that's definitely going to be a spring storyline. I know he talked to the media yesterday, said all the right, I mean, he says and does all the right things. You talked about how he's working on a sinker and all that. Uh, I remain very optimistic about Louis Varland, that he can be a mid rotation starter or a late inning reliever. They just need to figure out which one and how do we get there? the, The smoothest path to that that right. can help him and help the team. And so I think that'll definitely be one of the storylines uh, to watch in spring training. All right. Uh, that's it. We will, when next we speak, I will be sitting next to you in, that's in right. Fort Myers, Florida. I'll have to bring the other, uh, the other podcast equipment bag. 
the one the in person well, we podcasting. Can, we could still like. do a Zoom. <laughs> we could still do a Zoom. I could go to the room next door to you. That'd be really funny. <laughs> I'm like, what are they doing? Well, they don't they don't work together anymore. Did you know that <laughs> so in the um, we can't even be in the same room anymore? <laughs> in the the Fast and Furious uh, world, the the Rock and uh, Vin Diesel uh, reportedly or allegedly got along so poorly that they shot their scenes where they're really? together, like facing off separately and it was like edited so maybe we start doing that that is funny you're the rock i'm vin diesel <laughs> we make it sound like we're together but really i'm 10 feet away with a wall separating us in a different visiting radio booth i am uh we just I'm, do it Zoom. yeah i'm sure a lot of people would take a look at us and think it they are similar to the rock and vin diesel in yeah, so many ways i would say that <laughs> i'd let you be the rock so you, okay good i don't know I sound like Vin Diesel for sure. I wish I did. That'd be good for the podcast. Uh, all right. I that's it. Try saying I am Groot. See what happens. <laughs> I'm Groot. That's the best I got. Sorry. Uh, okay. So uh, that we apologize for making the uh, payroll related rant and TV rant perhaps a little bit longer than we intended, but uh, it happens. Unfortunately, deserve, to be honest, a, they a, deserve it. They deserve every minute of that. That's my feeling. That I'm sure I'll get down there and I'll. Our get listeners some, don't deserve it, but the <laughs> some side eye, some some death stares if that's, people heard that. But I I think you know you get what you pay for in that regard. You are what you eat. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll uh, I'll see you Monday. We will, uh, yeah, we'll be talking. If you want to join us at Spring Training, yeah, that's uh, right. Patreon.com, p a t r e o n dot com slash Gleeman. One dollar an episode if you sign up right now. Come ride with us through spring training. We'll have we'll both be in Fort Myers. We're hoping to get some player interviews, and some beat Bucks writer. We'll be here by then. We'll have uh, probably talk to him on Monday, and then uh, we'll roll right into the season, which you know you're going to be wanting to subscribe to the Patreon. So sign up now. Come uh, come join us. Patreon.com/slash Gleeman. And if you do that, you can hear us together, Vin Diesel and the Rock style, uh, from Fort Myers Monday. And we'll see you. Bye bye. Gleeman. 